This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host, Brendan Sinone. I'm joined by Joshua Newberg and Christopher Nee. Guys, it is October 19th, 2020. I'm saying this date for a reason. Stick with me here. I want everyone to take a step back and reflect on where we are today in sense of optimism and hope for Florida State. Do you know what happened on October 19th of 2019? Was that Wake Forest? It was. It was. So take just think about where we were on October 19th. Chris and I driving back, stopping in the middle of a McDonald's in in middle of God knows where is connected to a gas station somewhere in the middle of Georgia, calling Josh, texting Josh, telling him to chase down these rumors while we're uh, making texts and stuff and with, with bad cell reception, trying to figure out what's happening with, uh, with the Willie Taggart era. And, and Josh came up with some scoop that was controversial at the time, but proved to be very true, which was that FSU was indeed having conversations about the potential of buying out Willie Taggart. FSU had just dropped two games in a row, blowout against Clemson and then that that game against Wake Forest with some questionable coaching decision it's pouring Willie took the offense away from Kendall Bryles the decision to go for a 50-yard field goal so think about that how do you guys feel today it's bright and it's sunny up in Tallahassee compared to where we were exactly a year ago much much better (laughs) yeah a year ago at this time, I thought that they were going to make the coaching change, but I just didn't know how it was going to happen. Like, And to think that we've come almost full circle to a team that is now showing improvement. Um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a long journey to get here. And these are the beginning steps of improvement for Florida State. If you're looking for optimism, for a reason to be excited about the future it starts with the last couple weeks of play under Mike Norvell but very specifically the, the fruits of, of that labor of seeing the incremental growth on Saturday where FSU beats number five North Carolina 31 to 28 and we're going to get into the weeds here with how FSU has improved but I want to get both of your thoughts on this so as we look at where FSU is now after that win what do you guys think has been the biggest area of growth for Florida State under Mike Norvell. For me, uh, I think it's that this team has played with effort and has given a very profound level of shit. Like they, they care. There's pride and, and I have pride in watching them. And I don't know when the last time I could have said that. Josh, uh, where do you see growth? And were you prideful watching this team on Saturday? I'm a Florida State alumni class of 2005. I'm always proud to watch my university play football. <laughs> But yeah, I was no. That's not out. that. That can't be entirely accurate. I'm calling. I'm calling bullshit on you there. Um, the biggest change, I, I pretty much agree with you. It's passion. I mean, it, it's not a huge change in wins and losses. It's not a huge change in offense. It's not a huge change in defense. But you can feel that there's a tangible difference in the amount of effort guys are given, the amount of passion 
uh, especially the upperclassmen have started to play with. It's a good sign. I'll, I'll take it from what Kenny Dillingham said. This isn't a good team, but these are some good signs that they're showing improvement. And as long as they keep doing that, they'll be a good team in time. For me, it's that they have an identity, and the identity starts at the top with the head coach. One, I think he can coach. Like I think he knows how the hell to do his job, both from an organization standpoint and a coaching standpoint. I also think he's hired good people who he trusts and believes in, and they have a staff that is unified in that regard, and that's important. That's something that's lacked around these parts in the last 36 months leading up to when they were hired. That's led to positives on the field. There's an offensive identity, and that identity is we're going to build it around our players, and we're going to do the best of our ability with what we have at our disposal at that given time. And, you know, that that's a breath of fresh air. Instead of trying to force an offense upon a team like Jimbo so loved to do, and I know his offense is damn good, but he forced it upon whatever he was going to run out there, or Willie, where he really didn't know what the hell the offense was trying to be because it was so disorganized and a mess for several years. So this is a vast improvement in that regard. And then defensively, obviously they got ways to go and there's work to be done there. But the fact that we saw a positive second half at Notre Dame where effort was there and where there was want to and there was give, and then they follow that up with the next week with an improvement in those categories and build upon it, that's a huge building block. This program has had glimmers of hope and moments of, oh, maybe they're turning a corner or maybe they're getting better or maybe they're doing things better. And then the next week they would walk out and lay an egg and look like the old crappy version of themselves that has them in the pickle of being a bad program. We didn't see that this week. They came out and they didn't play perfect game. They didn't play great. And truthfully, they played a pretty crappy second half, but they played really, really hard for four quarters and they gave an effort. And that, that to me is the most immense building block there can be is that there's buy-in happening and it's not with everyone. There's going to be people that are going to be ushered off this roster. And there's been plenty that already have been recently but it's happening and that that is where you got to begin. That's where you got to work from. And that's how you start getting better with what you have at your disposal. And then you have to improve what you have at your disposal. The fact that you are able to have this, this fruit of the labor, a, a quantifiable win over a top five opponent. I think that's going to be huge for Mike Norvell moving forward in terms of Chris, you mentioned the buy-in coach Norvell mentioned buy-in a couple of times today. He mentioned confidence. Uh, he's seeing it. I don't think this growth is necessarily going to be linear. Like, I don't think they're going to come out and play like how they did in the first half against UNC every single game the rest of the season. But you have something now you can point to each and every single player in the locker room and say, we have you, we have the ability to guide you to the place for you to be successful. You keep following us. There's, there's evidence of that now. And, and for people who don't think there's growth, uh, I would like to point to this real quick and then I'll let you get in, Chris. Uh, the, the football power index game scores this is ESPN's game score, which measures things like game performance, including like how well a team controls the game. Final result, it's accounted, it's accounted for uh, opponent strength, zero to 100. So FSU's FPI game score against UNC was 84. Care to guess, fellas, the last time FSU had a game score in the 80s? 2016 Michigan? 17, uh, sometime when Jabu was still there. 2017 Florida. Josh, okay, Josh was on Florida. the road. But, but yeah. Go. So this isn't this podcast, I swear, wasn't meant to be ripping on Willie Taggart. I'm more just showing you that there is evidence that you can actually measure tangible improvements, which is which is important. The best thing Saturday evening for me and in the 48 hour sense is that I know the defense gives a shit. Mm-hmm. To put it matter of fact, that that was the biggest concern I still had because the effort wasn't there from that front four, 
There were so many miscues. They were such a mess. They couldn't do anything. And it looked like a group that eventually was going to break and it wasn't going to work. And that would set you back a great deal. And that's all before the UNC game. And then with the UNC game, they didn't play great. They made plenty of mistakes. Steven Dix got picked on in the passing game. You know, boundary corner got picked on in the passing game. There's plenty of things we can reflect on and say were issues. But they played really hard for four quarters. There was buy-in by the guys that you need buy-in from, the Marvin Wilsons, the Kandos, the Durdens, uh, Coop, even though he did some dumb things with swinging a fist, you know, and all that that people might point to. But in general, that group, the effort was – extraordinary and to me that's buy-in i don't think it was solely because they were facing the number five team in the country certainly that played a role but i think a corner was turned with that group and you know they may not play as well against louisville and people will say oh it was all for naught no i I think that they're going to build upon this as the season goes as you like to say it's non-linear it's not going to be a gradual climb there's going to be ups and downs they're going to have some issues there's things they're not good at that they'll be picked on when teams scheme them up But if they get effort like that consistently, they're going to be able to pull off enough wins this season where you can look at it as definitely a solid building block kind of season. And that's not a feeling I had, certainly not before the JSU game, and truthfully not really even after the JSU game with how poorly they began that game. But it's coming along with how they've played in these last two outings and the fact that they did pull out a win in a game where in recent years they almost certainly would have lost in the end. Josh, before we go any further, you have a... uh, I got it. Yeah, last week when we had our monthly call with our boss, uh, we were talking about subscription numbers and there's no promos being run this month. Um, So we applied a little pressure and we made a deal. And he said, if uh, FSU beats UNC over the weekend, we'll do a deal for the FSU site. So right now, uh, Knowles 24-7, you can join the VIP level for just a dollar for two months. It's crazy, I know. Um, but take advantage of it. The deal ends on Wednesday. I know a lot of you always ask whether I'm on Facebook live or in my Twitter mentions when we're running a promo, this is it a dollar for two months, go jump on it, go to the front page of Knowles 24 seven. You'll see a link in the upper right hand corner. Just click on that. It'll take you to the page. Simple. And while we are directing you guys to good deals and good value, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Market Square Liquors, located off of Timberlane Road and in northern Tallahassee by Thomasville and I-10. So it's convenient to get to their liquor selection and and especially the store pick bourbons they have are are exquisite. Beer wall at the back of the store is is awesome and, and vast, expansive. The wine selection is is really great and the staff is very knowledgeable too. With, especially when it comes to the wine, you go and talk to some some Marlier types. They'll uh, they'll direct you what kind of wine wine you want. And then also the the lounge next door, they have all sorts of different events starting to go on now. Uh, they have music on Fridays. I've been told they're going to have their their normal uh, like champagne celebration in December, but it may be spaced out a little bit because of social distancing reasons. So there's all sorts of stuff going on in the lounge. You have different events. They'll have tastings coming up soon too. So uh, so we'll update you on that too. But Market Square and the lounge. Uh, both of those places are awesome. And thanks to our sponsors, Market Square Liquors. We appreciate you guys and, and go ahead and support them for us here on On the Bench. Let me know we sent you. All right, guys, I have another narrative. I, I talked to you about the growth. That's quantifiable. There's another narrative I want to address. And I've seen it on the message board a few times today. I've seen it on Twitter quite a bit. It's not everyone. I think it's a vocal minority here, but people referring to FSU beating North Carolina as lucky. Uh, Luck is made. Uh, that's thank you, Chris. That's what I was going to say. FSU 
played extremely well in the first half. The blocked punt, the first one, that was a matter of FSU scheming that up, seeing advantage. That's coaching. The second one by Marvin Wilson, that was him giving a profound you-know-what to go ahead and hustle and make that play and block it. Uh, capitalizing off of those turnovers, uh, the Joshua Kando's heads-up play to, to jump up and, and get the pick six, like that was him practicing and preparing for that moment and seeing it on film and then understanding, you know, when UNC went to this certain formation, this is what they tended to do, making a play. Uh, I'm with you, Chris. It's not luck. This was, they're fortunate to hold on, but I don't think that's lucky. That's just a matter of, of you went against a good team. That's probably further ahead than you are right now. Uh, but they built themselves to lead and, and they deserved every single point they got. Yeah. They positioned themselves to win the game. They did not play a good second half and UNC certainly didn't play a very good first half. But FSU made plays, put themselves in that position to win that game, and they held on to win that game. And, yeah, if UNC runs that last play 10 times, they probably complete that pass a majority of the time, but they didn't in that circumstance. And FSU put the pressure on them to have to do it in that moment there, and they didn't pull it off. I Luck is made. Uh, you know, the only kind of luck that I believe in is where something completely screwball happens in a singular moment that leads to a win. Now, over 60 minutes of a game, things that are called lucky are made by the process of the game and what you do. There's such things like, like a fumble bounces and you can't control where it goes, obviously, but creating the fumble that there's some skill in that. So, so there's certainly things that Florida state did from a skill perspective, from a coaching perspective, game plan perspective, in which it certainly deserved to win that game. I just want to shoot down that narrative. I thought that was unfair. There are things they have to clean up though. Like that's without doubt. The big thing to me specifically as I went back, rewatched the game and, and there's various areas, but, but the one to me was the emotional uh, part of this team that still is self-destructive at times. Robert Cooper getting into it, Marvin Wilson getting into it with offensive linemen. In both instances, uh, Mike Norfield chews them out after the play and he actually said that Robert Cooper, or sorry, excuse me, that Marvin Wilson kind of acknowledged it and realized right away that he made a mistake, kind of pointed his own helmet uh, as he got to the sideline. I was like, I got to be better. I got to think about that stuff. And then Dante Lucas's penalty, just so very costly. Like, that's one that could have costed them big time. I mean, it did in the moment. It could have cost them a win when you're able to to break off a big run to start the second half, find yourself in first and goal from what, like, the, what was it, Chris, the three, the, the one? How close? I mean, they were right there at the door. And then instead, penalty sets them back to come up with no points. Those are things you have yeah. to clean up. Yeah, and the, if you listen to the coaching staff, it's clear they're talking about that. I mean, Lucas's penalty, for example, was called boneheaded today. So it, it's not something they're just brushing away. They're going to correct it. And what what did Norvell say today? He was pissed off about their mistakes. I mean, I quote, it I, really pissed me off. Some things yeah. really pissed me off. Yep. I think the fire is in the belly of this bunch trying to coach these guys. And I think they're, you, you want to see some of that emotion and passion. It's a matter of controlling it to the point where it's not detrimental to the outcome. Josh, when you're watching the game on TV, like, are they showing Norvell getting getting up in the faces of his players. And I mean, he, that dude just coaches his ass off throughout the entire game. He does not stop. Do you see that at all on the, on the tube? Yeah, it's been great to see some passion from him. He's, he's right up there with his face mask, right up next to their face mask. He's yelling into that plastic thing as loud as he can, I'm sure. You think that's why yeah. he had the face mask so that way he could yell at them, but, but still keep protocols. I, I, that's my I think theory. it's all ridiculous, but yeah, oh. I, I think <laughs> made that clear. Yes. He has her back, though. That's the other thing is, for example, to hit out of bounds towards the normal band end zone for FSU. He sprints down there and he is tearing into the ref 
because his player got popped and he wants the flag on the sideline. They're not giving it. So a coach is going to be able to yell at his guys if he's also got the back of his guys. It's kind of like yeah. you being able to call your brother a name, but if somebody else calls him that name, you're ready to you know throw punches. That, and that's what a coach has to be. He he is also holding those guys accountable. Um, you saw multiple times after those personal fouls, whether it was Marvin Wilson, Dante Lucas, um, whoever uh, Brownlee, uh, whoever it was that got in trouble down the stretch he let him know about it he, he, he didn't you don't just see them kind of jog off to the sideline and blend in with the rest of the crowd like we've seen on some other teams he he grabs them gives them an earful and, and and puts them on the bench for you know however long he sees fit Josh I was about to start asking this question in my mind I had it I was gonna ask you how much anxiety you get from watching Jordan Travis play because you've talked about his his physicality but that he's also someone who gets dinged up quite I'm bit. not at all I'm excited I think Look, yeah, I realize that, the I'm the, that I'm the anxious one and I was predicting well, on you. Here's the thing. I know what's coming. Like, we see at the end of every game, <laughs> Jordan Travis peeling himself off the carpet, getting up and going again. Eventually, these hits, these things are going to add up. You know, these little dings and all that. But here's, here's my caveat. He has to play that way mm-hmm. when he's in. Like, if he doesn't play that way, he's not effective. If he doesn't play that way, Florida State's not winning that game. Like, he's got to leave it all out on the line as a runner. He has to because that's the way FSU is going to find explosive plays with this – in this season at least. Um, And I think it's great that he's successful. I don't think his style of play is sustainable, but I'm here. I'm along for the ride as long as it lasts. I do have, you guys feel the same way? Do you think I'm wrong? Yeah, no, I feel I feel largely the same way. I think he can do a better job protecting himself to some degree, but you can't you can't rein that in. You got to let mm-hmm. him be who he is. He does such a good job of evading pressure at the last second and making plays out of it. You know, you can't change him, but you right. do you do tell him. You know, if you got 12 yards, you don't need to drop the shoulder for the 13th yard. You know, sometimes except you can step out of bounds. You know, this isn't diving for the sideline like we've seen other quarterbacks do at FSU. This is a matter of pick your punches. And, uh, you know, is it sustainable? I don't know. I think he's going to play at a pretty high level until he doesn't. But as far as the staying healthy part, that's more the sustainable part that I have concerns about. Just because team like Pitt, for example, or, of course, Clemson coming up, they got some D-lines that can mess people up. So those are kind of the concerns for me with Travis. But I love watching him play that last drive of the first half. You know, I spoke about it a lot in our instant reaction. I love that drive. I don't know if I've seen a quarterback around here in five, six years since, you know, you know who that could pull something like that off down the stretch there and you feel good about it. So why did you know? I, I like that. You, I like that you can't say Jameis Winston's name because the fact that someone's going to take that and say that you're comparing the two, and obviously you're not comparing the two. But someone was going to take. Correct. I know. I know why you were being cautious. Yeah. I know cautious Chris didn't want to get burned there. Uh, but no, I've, I've enjoyed Travis a great deal, and I think that the offense and this is something Sinone's been banging the drum on. They've taken him on as their their emotional leader and certainly the way they're playing the effort that he displays, you know, running down the field on Webb's run, Pokey Wilson's right there to follow and hustle down the field too. A lot of guys starting to kind of mirror what their quarterback is doing. And that's a good thing for FSU right now. Cause he's playing at a high level. That was something that I kind of had that epiphany and I thought about it a little bit. It was kind of like in the back burner, but like watching it on Saturday that the team is taking on his personality and his level of grit and the way he plays. It's, it's infectious. It's not just the energy at this point, like the energy's there, the hustle's there, uh, but not the toughness too. And guys selling out and willing to, to scrap and claw and fight. And I think that's trickling over 
to defense too, because now the defense knows if they carry their end of the bargain, there's someone on the other side of the ball to, to help make sure that the offense is at least effective. One thing I want to update you guys on with Jordan Travis, his left shoulder, we believe it was the left shoulder. That was certainly what he was favoring towards the end of the game. You can saw the shoulder was kind of hanging limp there. Uh, Mike Norvell said he's, he's fine. And that was on Monday. Jordan Travis said on Saturday after the game, he was a hundred percent. This is going to be to Josh's point. I think it's going to be like a, a wash, rinse, repeat type of uh, story arc for us after every single game this season. Jordan Travis is going to be dinged up. He's going to come out through the game, say he's a hundred percent on Monday. Mike Norvell is going to say he's fine. And then we'll, <laughs> so we get three content items out of it every single week like that. I, I, I'm fine with it as long as he's okay. Jordan Travis plays pickup basketball. And if there's not a blood, if there's not blood, there's not a foul. It's that simple. That is how that man lives his life. It's funny because when we first had met Jordan and talked to him, like I didn't get that sense from him. He's very kind of buttoned up and, and clean feeling. And, and oh man, he's gritty. Like he's willing to, to mix it up. And, and it's been really enjoyable and fun to watch. And like I said, it's trickling throughout the team. And I kind of, I think this team is likable right now. I know it's coming off the win, but even if they had lost that game, Maybe not the way they would have been losing because it would have been squandering a 24-point lead. But the way they're playing, guys, like I, I'm enjoying watching this team and finding aspects of them likable. And it's been a while since I've been able to say that about Florida State football, to be honest. Yeah, I feel like the offense got there around Notre Dame. Um, I feel like defense joined the party this past weekend. That's helped a great deal. Perhaps even that final drive against Notre Dame on defense where they had the goal line stop. I wanted to dismiss it at the time. Yeah. I was wrong. It, 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 well, I think it signified a lot. It did. But we, we love to make storylines out of things that turn out to not be storylines. And that last drive at Notre Dame is a perfect example of that because you can write about it all day and you can say, oh, it mattered. But you don't know it mattered until they play the next game, the next play, the next quarter, the next half, whatever it is. It did matter. We realize that now after a game. But, I, I you know, we always sit there kind of – deliberating what should we and what shouldn't we write. And that's a perfect example of sometimes you hesitate to write something because, well, you've been burned in the past by this program and this team and you don't want to say it. But like we talked about Emmett Rice, very committed on that last drive. Emmett Rice played an excellent game Saturday, probably his best game of the season. And that that's a good example of showing an example of a guy who took it in a certain Mm -hmm. moment, applied it in practice, produced it in a game. Corey Durden as well was someone in that final drive against Notre Dame, I believe, who who was praised by Mike Norvell, and he played pretty well in the first half before he was ejected for for targeting. Uh, so, yeah, there was something certainly there, and Chris is right. We we have gotten burned before, and I don't want us to be pushing positive narratives along if we don't believe in them and we can't back them up. Uh, and if we they beat that. Clemson, I will write whatever narrative they want. Can we get saying. the, can we get the Chris and uh, Leonard Hamilton ass <laughs> tattoo promise for if they beat Clemson this year? What are you going to do for us if they beat Clemson? Nah, man, you, you got to really earn my respect again, ass tattoo. Leonard's earned it over two decades. A this win over has, Clemson wouldn't require an ass tattoo? This team hasn't earned it in 10 quarters. Hmm. Josh, what would you do for a Clemson win? Or no, not four. That, that's going to get murky. Uh, what would you do if they beat Clemson? <laughs> Yeah, don't ask. Uh, that's a bad question. Uh, I'm probably going to do an instant pod with Chris and and have a great time. Yep, and I'll be left out yet again. Let's talk about the defense. We were starting to get over uh, onto that subject before I derailed it. The defense played with grit and intensity. Wasn't always perfect, especially in the second half, as Chris alluded to. But I'm going to throw this question to Josh because you're our Adam Fuller whisperer. You're the one who kind of one fell in love with him this preseason and the way he talks about football and specifically his team and the scheme. You noticed him feeling a little bit more down in the dumps the last couple of weeks. Now, now where, where are you with the Adam Fuller barometer, Joshua? 
I definitely didn't fall in love with them. I just thought yeah, you it was did. interesting you, to you listen were, to you were because smitten. most coaches don't say anything. And during the preseason, not only was Adam Fuller talking, but I learned some things while he was speaking. So, but yeah, I do. Uh, I can understand him better than the rest. Um, today, he was quite chipper. You could tell just right off the jump when he came out. Um, he had a lot to say, but what... I could tell what really got him going. And that was when he was able to talk about the passion that his players played with. And I think that's kind of the key for his defense is once these guys start buying in and playing with passion and playing with energy, I think things are going to start falling into place for him. And he saw that last game. He was excited to come out and talk about it on Monday um, he noted, he hedged every compliment with, you know, oh, well, we still got to get better and there's a ton to get better with. So I'm not trying to say that he was um, like taking a victory lap by any means. I just thought that he couldn't, he couldn't hide his happiness for the way that his defense played. The thing about Fuller that I noticed, I think he's pretty consistent in the way he messages things. He was clearly disappointed for a while there and it mm-hmm. showed on his Monday press conferences he was happier today. He still wants him to be better. He knows that he can be better. But he uh, – I would say the nicest thing that has come out of him in the last week's time, they stuck to their guns on Saturday. And I think I think that's an important lesson maybe learned. You know, they kind of – benching Warner, playing Dix, knowing that Dix was going to have miscues, but they were going to live with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's important. Four two five. They rode with that from the get go. You know, it kind of neutralized one of their better players. Amari Gaynor wasn't in there a ton. Only played nine snaps, and I'm sure that's a balancing act they're trying to figure out. Is you got to get Gaynor on the field more because obviously he's one of your better performers consistently. But maybe schematically, what he is doesn't fit what you're trying to do or you need to do for that opponent. You're trying to bounce that, but I I like that they were they were going to go down with the ship with what they were doing and they believed in it. And I think that permeated into the players, into a confidence factor. And obviously some early success helps a great deal. When you get a fourth and one stop early on, it injects a great deal of confidence into a team. But they, they were they were guns blazing. They weren't going to go away from what they were doing. And I think that's an important thing for the players to realize that that's how it's going to work, the coaching dynamic with these players. And I feel like they were more – I don't know the right word, but they were more – consistent with that in this game than any other point this year from the game plan standpoint to enacting it and sticking to it within the game itself. There were some schematic things that we can get into here in the podcast that I think is worthwhile. But what I would say is this, is the defense played by far its best game of the season. And I don't think it was necessarily like a complete pencil whipping. There was some of that where we saw Adam Fuller uh, with personnel and some strategies he had for like showing blitzes before before the play and trying to dictate where Sam Howell goes with the football. But really, if, if we're talking about why FSU wins that game on Saturday, and especially why the defense played as well as it did for a good chunk of the game, not perfect, especially in the second half, but that defensive line, man, like that was so they were so freaking good. They they had their moments where they yeah they had some miscues and they didn't come home get home on some sacks, but. Marvin Wilson played his best football of the season and played it in the final two drives of the game. I mean, that final drive, the last four plays where FSU caps off the win, he had a stuff, he had two quarterback pressures, and he had a quarterback hit. Four plays in a row, boom, boom, boom. Robert Cooper, after getting pushed around against Notre Dame, I mean, he's the one who makes that big fourth down stop that Chris is talking about happen. 
that's Coop who, who creates that pressure. The guys on the edge, we mentioned Joshua Kando, him making plays, but, but Janarius Robinson, his effort and his energy, it was so awesome to see and exciting for me now to, to think about and reflect on. And those guys are all playing about like 50 to 70 snaps too. So they played a lot of snaps. They were gassed at the end of the game, but they kept pushing. Uh, so, so that was great to see. Chris, you mentioned the linebacker play. I thought Emmett Rice, like you said, had his best game of the season. Let's say like Stephen Dix Jr. didn't have a great game. He played 83 snaps. Think about it. Dix was really good except for against the pass. It's a weakness for him. It's got to be a weakness for him. It's a weakness for most freshman linebackers. But there were examples where because of what Sam Howell brings to the table and what North Carolina's offense is designed to do, where he had to pick whether he kind of stayed as a spy watching the quarterback or if he bailed out and pursued, in one case, a tight end running down the seam. He decided to stay in. The safety wasn't there in time to help, you know, pass complete, big play. There was an one to the running back for a touchdown. That That's a good quarterback and a good offense figuring out where they can pick on a guy. But there's things within FSU's defense that they can do to help Dix that makes him valuable in all settings because he definitely brings more value to that position than Leonard Warner. And, yeah, they had to balance for two, three weeks there. Do we play the veteran who knows what he's supposed to do in all circumstances but really isn't doing much of anything? Or do we play the young guy who's got great instincts, great athleticism, can do some special things, but has obviously got some shortcomings in what he's capable of understanding, doing in the moment, in the game, in the process? And they clearly shifted and moved on to the young guy, which is a good thing. But I think they did that with an acceptance of this is going to get picked on in some form or factor at times. And they're going to work on it, try to get better at it. But to me, it's not they're not a staff that gets stuck in the mud. They're here to do what they need to do to try to win football games. It's not about looking pretty. It's about trying to do what you have to do. And Stephen Dix gives them a better chance of making a play at that individual position than a Leonard Warner. And that's excellent. And when the D-line is good, you can get away with that. If the D-line was bad again, then we'd be talking about how bad Steven Dix played because there would be less praise to heap on there. But because the D-line was good, it enables Dix to be a better player with what his skill set is. Josh, when did you figure out that Dennis Briggs was playing? Like, I know we're texting and stuff. Was it when I published the story? Did you see the text in the group thread? Or was it when he uh, he actually got on the field? And were you <laughs> like, what the hell? That's what I was like when I saw him warming up. No, before the game, when you guys were in the text thread, uh, I think Chris is like, well, Briggs is dressed out and on the field. That was, that was crazy. That was crazy. We hadn't heard that this week. Obviously, it was fairly yeah. last minute uh, that they got him into the game plan. I, I, love, I love Kando's explanation of, well, I saw him getting a COVID test. I was like, <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah, not, he didn't put two and two together. Briggs is a guy I welcome back. Odell loves him for a reason. He's a good kid who works really hard. I was disappointed when he opted out, but I think we now understand the circumstances behind that was, you know, pregnancy and having a child. Newborn. I think yeah. was the reason. Um, Dennis Briggs was not pregnant. To clarify. <laughs> Correct. Um, but it welcome back, you know, especially in a game where you don't have true Thompson, Fabian love it. You know, one of those guys that started a couple games, you know, once a crucial depth piece, you're missing those. Briggs comes in and plays what three dozen snaps? Is that what he, he ended he up? He played. Playing? He played more than thirty snaps. Yeah. And real quick, True Thompson, Fabian Lovett are expected back this week. Yeah, so that's what I took away from Mike Norvell's very short answer to Chris's question. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love asking that man about injuries. He hates it so much. I do. Uh, let's see. One or two more aspects of the defense I want to get to. Then we'll take a commercial break and get into some recruiting updates. 
Amari Gaynor, you mentioned Chris, didn't play a ton. I think about a dozen snaps, if that. And then DJ Lundy was there uh, as a situational linebacker. And both of those guys usually were on the field at the same time. That was one of the sub packages FSU went with. Gaynor on the edge, Lundy almost like as a designated blitzer. And, and that group ends up being pretty successful and helps FSU en route to uh, to being getting North Carolina off the field two out of 11 times. No, nine out of 11 times. UNC was two of 11. There we go on third down and Gaynor and Lundy play a big role in that with their athleticism showing their aggressiveness. What do you think we see from that? Well, one, Chris, what did you think of that sub package? I loved it. And two, uh, how do they kind of keep getting those two on the field in effective ways moving forward, especially Gaynor? I did like the sub package. Gaynor also had the big stop on a third down before the fourth and one where they got the first fourth down stop two for 14 on third and fourth down conversions is what the opposition was in this one. Um, as far as the idea, you got to get Gainer on the field more, in my opinion. I just, I think Gainer, uh, you know, I'm a Gainer. I'm going to stand for Gainer, I guess, is the correct way of saying this. Um, <laughs> you got to have him on the field. He's too talented to keep off there. And what did you, you know, take of, uh, did you take away it like I did, Chris? I, I, think, uh, I think it was four to five that led to Gainer yeah. being out more than anything. But but did you get what Fuller he kind of hinted at and I'm not sure if it was about Gainer or some other guys but he talked or talking about Gainer or some other guys but he basically hinted today and I know you just finished transcribing him at finding a ways to finding a balance and I thought that was specifically yeah. about Amari Amari Gainer and maybe even trying yeah. to get him more at defensive end but him not quite them feeling quite confident enough to get him I thought that was the hint that he dropped today. Yeah, I think the big concern with Gaynor at DN is that maybe it washes out some of what makes him a special player. He's better as an outside linebacker than he is as a defensive man, even though he is a good pass rusher. Um, but yeah, I think they're certainly struggling with a balance of doing some of that. You know, they wanted to get a guy like Brownlee on the field. He's been excellent on special teams. He's been good for them as a whole. So they wanted to get him out there. So you put him out there, you got to take somebody off. And when you're in the four-two-five, Gaynor kind of ends up being the position neutralize you go away from having a true stud so i don't know it's a weird balance i get paid a lot of money to figure it out i just think if you are trying to get your best 11 out there gainer has to be out there mm-hmm. yeah i would like to see a snap count probably triple from from where it was but the results were still pretty good in general for, for the defense so i don't want to be too nitpicky but that is something to monitor moving forward last thing we'll talk about on the defense chris you talked about the nickel package jarvis brownley getting in there uh, the secondary in general had its okay moments uh, in the second half, got beat down the middle of the field a lot and got beat on the boundary side quite a bit or wherever you know, the normal boundary corner is. Akeem Dent was not very good. And let's just go to the, some personnel groupings uh, as we try to figure out what FSU does from here. I got some stats on the guys who pretty much have been the, the boundary corners this year. Akeem Dent, when targeted, has uh, given up 10 of 13 passes, 496 yards and two touchdowns. That's a passer rating of 251, 251.75. Not very good. Uh, Jerry and Jones, who did not play this past week, I expect him to probably be back this upcoming week. Uh, when he was targeted this season, six out of 10 for 98 yards, a touchdown. That's a passer rating of 175.3. Not very good still, but obviously not 251. Then Miko Dotson, when targeted, Two of four for 45 yards. He got mossed, obviously, but, but at least forced the wide receiver to make a really good play. Passer rating of 144.5. I think as we see Miko Dotson more, Chris, that, or sorry, as we see more games go on, we'll see Miko Dotson more, especially if they feel okay with what they have with Brownlee at, at the nickel spot because Dotson was initially there at the beginning of the game. 
Yeah, I mean, Dent's technique wasn't very good on Saturday. He got beat by looking in on one, by giving up inside leverage on another. Just things he can do that he can control. It's not so much about the opponent. Now, they were playing a really good receiving core. You know, Corrales, Brown, Newsome, all really talented dudes. Also a capable tight end and running backs who can catch out of backfield. So that's tough to deal with. But I, I do think Dodson's kind of a guy that they're definitely going to lean on more and more if he's able to do it. I think his health is a little bit of an issue right now. He certainly looked banged up a couple times in that game. Obviously, getting Hampson back would be enormous for the secondary. Hampson fixes a lot of issues, probably helps clean up the middle of the field quite a bit for them. And probably takes a little bit of pressure off some of those guys that feel like they're probably living on an island at times just because the safety help isn't always there. Let's take a quick commercial break. That was a good wrap-up of this week's game. I think we're all feeling much better about Florida State than we were a couple of weeks ago. Certainly much better than where we were on October 19th of 2019. What a difference a year makes. Uh, let's take this quick break. and we come back, we have some, some recruit scoop for you guys, and we'll wrap up the podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to On the Bench, finishing up here. Let's uh, let's start off with a Zach Blostein joint. We should have gotten Zach on for this. This is my bad. I should produce that better and timed it better. But Zach caught up with a handful of recruits. Josh, since you are young Zach's men- mentor, I will let you uh, I will let you share what the recruits had to say about Florida State's thrilling thirty-one twenty-eight win over UNC. Man, they were fired up. Um, I bet. I bet. Like you said, FSU took down number five UNC. Um, the recruits, I would say most of the commitments were just excited to see a a full game played by the team that they're committed to. Um, you know, we, we heard from Shambri Jackson. He said the game was amazing. Everything looked better, more crisp. Joshua Farmer goes as far as to say we're back. Well needed only North from here. Um, chemo. I think it was an awesome game. Um, Cedric Baxter Jr. I love it. They played well. It was amazing. Love the way they played. Just got to keep going in the second half. Jordan Travis makes our offense complete. Um, so you saw just some excitement. It's about time. Um, I also, outside of the story, I checked in. I heard from Ruquan Buckley this afternoon. Ruquan Buckley's a big offensive tackle out of Michigan. And um, he said that he he has heard from Coach Atkins since then, not over the phone, but they have interacted. And he's happy for Florida State. Um, guys noticed. Uh, they took notice to Florida State losing as well. We saw a decommitment last week from Brandon Jennings. So, of course, a good game like this. Now, it's just one game, so we don't have any big news like any commitments or any flips happening yet. FSU has to keep doing this. But you see that guys are watching and they're responding in a positive way when some when FSU does something positive on the football field. I think that's that's all you can ask for. Yeah, and Tyrion Arnold's a guy who plans to put a top five out in the next month or so. FSU, obviously local, would love to have him. He's their main focus, their mm-hmm. main TV. He said they showed spurts that they, that they could be a really good football team. Arnold's someone who, you know, when I hung out with him over the summer, dropped in on the school during a workout day, 
he said more than anything he needed to see a pass rush. And obviously he had not seen that from FSU prior to Saturday. So, you know, building blocks go a long way. I thought Kevin Knowles had a great comment. Norvell is on to something. you got to crawl before you walk, and it looks like we're going to be running in no time. I think that's a solid buy-in kind of quote from a kid. It's 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 a positive. They they got to stack a few on top of each other, build some recruiting momentum. I, I still think it's going to be really tough with the 21 class, but you can also lay a lot of good foundational work with 22 with some success in season. Marvin Jones Jr. also chimed in. There's a VIP article up on Knowles 24-7 right now. Um, he said he watched the fourth quarter. He said, I know it's exciting for the fans to be the top five because it's like they're turning it around almost. It was always good to see a team get a win like that. Um, him and his dad, pretty vocal. Well, his dad's definitely vocal on Twitter. Uh, Marvin Jones, Shade Tree, as very you guys much, know him. Very much so. Um, That's been a, like an interesting development in the last couple months. Yeah, though. he's very pro. Well, obviously he's pro FSU, but he's, he seems to be pro Mike Norvell, which is a good sign if uh, your son is a top 2022 recruit. Definitely. I, I want, well, okay, let me think of which direction for us to go. Uh, real quick, Chris, break off. I'll let you. I'll give you the basketball minute. I know you got some hoop stuff to talk about, but I'll, I'll throw you a bone here, buddy. I know it's been a long day. Yeah, late last week I talked to Jaden Bradley. He's number one point guard in 2022. I actually talked to his mother. Um, FSU is very involved there. A lot of schools are very involved there, but FSU is a school that's making a great deal of effort. He's one of the ten best players in the country, best point guard. He's down at IMG Academy. I believe he originally hails from North Carolina. Um, he was at the BC game, as was his family, when FSU won and cut down the nets and everything. Made an impression. The staff's done a really good job of recruiting him and his family. And the family feel is something that his mother mentioned specifically as standing out. So he's a name to keep in mind. More important class in the sense of time sensitive. 2021, Bryce McGowan's five-star former FSU commitment, recent decommitment here about two weeks ago. Dropped a top five today. It was FSU, Georgia, LSU. Uh, Nebraska and who am I forgetting off the top of my head? Georgia, LSU, Nebraska, FSU, and help a brother out, gentlemen. Help yeah, we have out. no idea. That's part this of the is issue. Michigan. <laughs> Sorry, it was Michigan. And this who's surprised? Yeah, this is not your pay grade. Um, <laughs> yeah, Michigan was the other. I was kind of surprised to see LSU and Michigan in there. I thought one or the other might make it, and then I expected someone like Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky and Kansas are a couple blue blood types. I was told that a blue blood was part of the reason he opened it up. I think Georgia was truthfully the number one reason he probably opened it up. I know that list sounds very Bags. weird. <coughs> Bags. Sorry. The, the list sounds very weird. Georgia and Nebraska are the two that I think truthfully are the biggest contenders here, along with FSU. Um, Georgia, there's some Anthony Edwards trainer type ties to it. And I think they're selling him on being the central focus of a program. That's not very good. And then with Nebraska, it's family ties. His brother transferred there from Pitt, and he also knows some others there. So there's some familial ties that definitely make Nebraska a place of comfort. But he likes FSU a lot. I would not entirely rule out him ending up back at FSU. I know FSU certainly would love to have him in the class. His father likes FSU a great deal. We shall see. There is no timeline for deciding if he is going to sign early, which I don't think he will at this point. November 11th to November 18th is the basketball signing period. Okay, let's see. I want to pivot us, pivot us back to football recruiting as we wrap things up. Chris, there was an offer out to a junior college linebacker from the state of Mississippi. Uh, seems like a little bit of a reaction to the Brandon Jennings uh, decommitment. Is that fair? 
Yeah, he's a Mississippi State commitment. Um, I talked to Paul Jones, who covers Mississippi State some. He told me the young man's name is Navantique Strong. He uh stat producer last year at JUCO. Is that Mississippi Golf Community College? Go ahead. I stayed away from, I stayed away from that name for a reason. I, I asked Paul specifically how it was pronounced. Um I thought it was Navantech. He said it was Navantique. Um he, he's a stat stuffer. I mean, he's kind of kid, he's definitely an inside linebacker type of body type, plays very physical, ends plays a lot. He can get downhill and get things done. But he's from Mississippi originally. He's out of Mississippi Juco. He's committed to a Mississippi college. I'm not feeling particularly optimistic about that one. There's just usually there's something about that state that's a magnet for kids to stay in it unless a select few can come in and pull them out like the Alabamas of the world. Not saying FSU has no chance because we do intend to catch up with them and find out more, but not feeling real good about the initial feelings on it. Since the last time we had the podcast, there's been one development. Maybe it didn't seem super positive for FSU, and that's losing a grad transfer. Losing out, I should say, because they never really had him, but losing out on a grad transfer. Offensive lineman Willie Allen, who picks Michigan. I know kind of a kick in the pants after Michigan also gets Brandon Jennings. Uh, but we've got a little bit more intel, I think, just on how the grad transfer process is going to work. For one, FSU, Mike Norvell said, uh, FSU and all schools are going to have more than 85 scholarships to work with next season due to the NCAA's uh, rules there that they're they're going to have with uh, – oh, God, what's the word I'm looking for? Someone help me out. Eligibility. And eligibility. Eligibility is the word. Thank you, Chris. So they have more than 85. We don't know the exact number. But, Josh, you know you've done some digging around. FSU is going to take a – maybe an approach that fans don't want to hear, but – no, Go ahead, I'll let that. you explain. Um, I hinted at it on the last podcast. I said that they have to draw a balance between filling needs right now and just taking a guy like Willie Allen, who's a capable player that hits the portal, or waiting to see what else comes. Because in the next six to eight weeks, there's going to be literally dozens of, of Power 5 players hitting the portal. Um, Florida State has something to sell when it comes to the portal, and that's playing time. So let's say that you take a Willie Allen early and you're still, and then all of a sudden a, a, a former five-star from Georgia or Texas A&M, some offensive tackle hits the portal and you want him. Well, now FSU, their strongest selling point is playing time, but they've already taken a grad transfer. Not saying that's going to scare somebody away, but it does kind of hedge your one biggest threat in the portal, which is playing time. Um I just think that they have to balance this thing out because they do have needs that they must fill, but they also must get better. Um, so I, I, I made a call last week when we talked after we talked about Willie Allen and Joshua Youngblood, and I was basically told, Hey, Josh, don't invest too much time in those guys. Like the, the, the it was pro it, the message was, yeah, we like them, but you know, we're just testing the waters here. Like just, just be patient. These probably aren't the guys you want to go all in on. That's what I was yeah. told. And it makes sense. Patience is a word that's going to be a synonymous one with balance here is people mm -hmm. don't want to be patient. They want the quick fix. They want the, oh, I know we got him. He's going to be here. But again, remember with portal guys, even though they commit doesn't mean they're necessarily going to show right. up at your school. So it, it's a matter of you got to find the right ones. I do think they're going to be extremely portal heavy. There's a reason we wrote the story we wrote last week. I don't think even a win on Saturday drastically changes that. Now, you know, 
they pull off some Louisville last year, UNC last year kind of momentum down the stretch, it may change the 2021 recruiting dynamic some. But at the end of the day, I think the portal is going to be too enticing to get some guys that can help them immediately as compared to what's available at the high school ranks. All right, Josh, before I take us home, one more time, tell the people. Oh, yeah. Shout out to uh, the October promo that's running right now on Knowles 24-7. Get you two months for a dollar. Go take it. Go take advantage, all you cheapos that haven't been paying for our site. Just listen to the pod. Now's your chance. Go get it. That will end Wednesday, so hurry. What can you get for a dollar anymore? Like 37 chicken nuggets at Burger King? Oh, so I got to tell you guys something. Oh, God. Double. I got to tell you something. We're going to get sidelined here? Yep. For my birthday last week, no one wished me a happy birthday. That's fine. It was Mike Norvell's birthday, too. Just saying. My mom and my wife went out and got me cheeseburgers from five different restaurants, fast food cheeseburgers, and we did a, a blind taste test to see if I could figure out which was which. I am proud slash not proud to say I went a perfect five for five. Did you? Yep. I eat way too many cheeseburgers. I think it's the takeaway. I, I could. You should call. You should call shit. Go ahead, Josh. No, it's always harder when it comes to those blinds. What was the giveaway? Was it like the ketchup? Like it had to be oh. something weird. Like what I've, was the giveaway for? I videotaped. I'll send it to you guys. But yeah, like the checkers, I knew what it was because the cheese tasted cheap. Like it tasted like Velveeta okay. cheese. <laughs> that was the takeaway there. Uh, Whataburger. One, because I was holding them, you can kind of tell the Whataburger was like heftier mm-hmm. than the others. On the others, uh, Burger King and Har- and Hardee's gave me a little bit of a hard time because they're both flame broiled, but. The Hardee's didn't taste great. The Burger King tasted more authentic. So that was that. And then I go to Wendy's all the time. I knew which one that was going to be. That was never in question. Uh, we did not go to McDonald's. My wife waited in line for like an hour at McDonald's. I think the the Travis Scott or whatever the deal is, I really messed up the uh, the McDonald's for so, Cactus Jack. Is that it? I don't know. I'm, I'm getting old, guys. It's, yeah, you got to order the Cactus Jack. I'm just disappointed that's known it's not the fat one of the three of us. Getting there, buddy. Getting yeah, there. You're, you're trying. Give it another quarantine. He'll be right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For Josh Newberg, Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone, a little chubber than I was seven months ago. We'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening to On the Bench. Happy birthday. <laughs>